We are so glad that you've joined us today. Whether you're from North Point, maybe from another church in the area and just kind of checking things out here at North Point, or maybe you find yourself in a place that you're just looking to God for some answers. Uh, you're going through some stuff and have some questions, just trying to figure things out. It doesn't matter where you're from. We're glad that you're here today and trust that God's going to speak to you in the process. We're in a series of messages uh, that that are all about finding Jesus in unexpected places or discovering Jesus working in areas that we don't anticipate. The series is called Woke, and today is the fourth in the series of messages, but it's a standalone message. So if you've missed the other ones, that's no problem. You can just jump in. Um, if you like what you hear today and want to explore some of the ones from the past, you can do that here on the YouTube site, or uh, you, can, you can find that and go back and, and catch up on everything as well. What's going to happen is I'm going to transition into the message in just a, a moment or two, and, and I'm going to talk for 25 or 30 minutes, and then we're going to include one of the songs that the band led in worship here at North Point today. Uh, we are doing live worship and would love to have you join us if you're, if you're comfortable doing that. Uh, God's working in some cool ways. We've got a lot of people who are coming together and uh, worshiping together, and, and that's, a, that's a great thing. We would love to know that you're with us. So if you're, if you're willing to, if you would just send a text, if you're from North Point, you can do that on the North Point app using the Let's Connect tab, or you can send a text to 94090 and uh, send the message that says Guest NCC, Guest NCC to 94090. And, uh, and that way we can stay in touch with you. You can learn more about the church, all, all those kinds of things. Uh, one of the cool things is uh, God takes care of us no matter what's going on. And if he has blessed you financially and you'd like to give back to him, just an offering to say, God, thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you for the way that you provide for, for me, even in this time. We'd encourage you to do that. You can do that by giving electronically. Um, send send uh, the message to 77977. It's a different number, 77977. And just send the, the message that says NCC Give, NCC Give. Uh, that would be great. Hey, we're ready to jump in the message. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, we're trusting that God's going to speak to you. Good morning. Does anybody feel like they've already gotten what they need in just hearing over and over again, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. Good, good news. Hey, it, uh, we're in this series called, what Chris, uh, Chris mentioned it, and, and understanding how that fits in everything is, is really important. We've been talking about the vision that we have for North Point. Um, a vision that would have everybody who calls North Point home talking about how Jesus is working in their life in their sphere of influence. That that would just be the normal kind of thing that would happen over and over and over again, that people are just talking about what God's doing in their life and how they're seeing Jesus move, that kind of thing. This past Wednesday in, in the life group that, that uh, my wife and I lead, uh, we, were, we were just talking through stuff, and uh, somebody who was at life group came in and shared, and shared a neat story that I thought, I want, uh, I want you guys to hear it. So would you please welcome Chris Sullivan on stage? Woo! Yay, Chris! Are you on okay. staff here? Um, I'm a member. And... <laughs> so 
The answer to that's no, I'm not on staff. I'm just a regular person, right? I'm a person. Yeah. Are, are you on? Hello. Good, good, okay. good, good. Talking louder. Um, uh, so like I said, we were, we were just talking and Chris shared a, just kind of a fun story that happened Monday or Tuesday morning, something yep. like that. Go ahead. So um, after your message last week and you were talking about sharing your testimony and specifically talking about finding Jesus in the routine, I thought, okay, God, you know, help me to share in some, you know, some way. Um, so literally the next day, um, I was at work and I was working from home and we're doing a team's call. So, you know, I'm chatting with one of my employees in my area and then he says, you know, hey, how are you doing? And I was like, okay, this is the chance to share. And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually been doing really great. I've been going deeper in my prayer and I feel really moved by it. Um, I'm just feeling really great in the way that God's working in my life. Um, yeah. And he was like, whoa, that's really cool. I don't go to church, but I've actually been praying. And he goes, hold on. And he reaches over on his desk and he pulls up this piece of paper and he goes, I've been getting up early before work and praying over these people. And he goes, look, you know, I've got a list of names front and back. And he said, actually, you and your husband's names are on this list um, from something that happened earlier over the summer. My husband got injured and he had listened to that and he was praying over us. And, you know, we both went about our days, but I just thought, like, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, thank Chris. Would you? Yeah. Thanks so much. The reason why I wanted her to share that is because when we talk about, regularly talk about how Jesus is at work in our life, um, we, Satan whispers in our ear, right, and says, unless you've got something spectacular, like something miraculous, nobody wants to hear it. You know, it's just normal stuff. Who's going to pay any attention to that? That's one thing that Satan whispers in our ears. Another thing he whispers is when there is miraculous, spectacular kind of stuff, Satan whispers, nobody's going to believe that, so why share it? And I, I just wanted to encourage you to say, Jesus is working. He's working in the routine. He's working every day in our lives. And we just need to be open to just sharing that, to just talking about it with other people. Our vision as a church is that we would be a place where everybody who calls North Point home would regularly, just on a continual basis, be talking about what God's doing in their life, how Jesus is changing them in their sphere of influence, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, that kind of thing. Um, the, uh, there are three critical components to that vision. And one is that you've got to own North Point, that you say, yeah, this is where I am. This is where I belong. This is where I'm going to live and grow. You own North Point. You've got to see Jesus working in your life, and you've got to share what he's doing. Own, see, share. Own, see, share. Own, see, share. That's what that vision is all about. How's that fit with this concept of, of hashtag woke? Well, woke is a, is a term that's used in our current culture uh, to just describe becoming aware of what God is, well, not in our culture, it's not so much God, but becoming aware of stuff that you were unaware of before. And I think that we're often unaware of how God has been working in our life. And so we want to encourage you to get woke, to be woke. Um, we've talked the last several weeks about finding Jesus when he's silent. When, when we don't hear anything. We talked uh, after that about finding Jesus in the parties and the celebrations, that he's the author of those things, and he's there when things are going great. We talked last week about finding Jesus in the routine and just the normal, everyday stuff of life. And today, we're talking about finding Jesus in the storm. It's actually the first of two weeks that we're going to spend in uh, passages of Scripture that describe Jesus in the storm. But uh, uh, today we're, t we're talking about how we search for Jesus 
in the storm. Let me give you uh, some background before we jump into the, the whole storm to kind of contextualize things. Jesus was born in Palestine in the area that we call modern-day Israel. Um, Israel as a nation, the geographic footprint of Israel is about one-tenth of the size of the state of Michigan. Okay? So sometimes we think, oh, yeah, we hear Israel and we think, oh, it's big like the United States. Not at all. One-tenth of the state of Michigan. And there are regions in Israel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a little town outside of Jerusalem in the region of Judea. When Jesus was raised, he was raised in the region of Galilee. That's where Nazareth was, which was just a podunk um, hill town out in the country. Uh, not very many people. It was a small kind of area. Those regions, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they, um, they're about the geographical size of about three or four counties, Michigan counties. So if you think um, Ingham County, Clinton County, Shiawassee County, that's about the size not the population, but that's about the size of those regions. So if you think Galilee, think about that kind of uh, space that you know. That's where Jesus grew up. That's where Jesus did started to do his ministry. What we're going to read as we jump into this passage happens about two years into Jesus' ministry. So he's been traveling and teaching, healing people. In Galilee, in this region, there's this lake called the Sea of Galilee. It's a place that we've heard about. If, you've, if you know scripture, Jesus did lots of stuff at the Sea of Galilee. When I was growing up, I always thought the Sea of Galilee is this monstrous place. You know, it's, this, it's like Lake Michigan kind of thing. Not so. The Sea of Galilee is about the size of Houghton Lake, if you know Houghton Lake. It's 12 miles from north to south. Uh, Sea of Galilee is a little bit bigger than Houghton Lake, but it's 12 miles from north to south, seven miles east to west. So it's it's uh, it's big enough that it's a big body of water, but it's small enough that you can actually see across it, like you can see the shore on the other side, seven miles across, if the weather's decent at all. If if it's clear, you can actually see from the north end, from Capernaum, all the way down to where it empties into the Jordan River, 12 miles away on the other side. You can see that as well. Um, it's It's... Big, but it's not monstrous. But let me say this because we're talking about Jesus in the storm. Anytime that you're in, uh, that you're on the water in a storm, is a scary time. And anybody been there? Been out on a boat? Been there when everything goes crazy? It's it's not much fun. And that's the context of what we're going to take a look at today. Um, immediately before this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, if you want to go there, it's in Mark 6. Immediately what happens before that is that Jesus has been told about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his head cut off by Herod. Uh, story you can look at a little bit later. But that had to grieve Jesus. John the Baptist is who had baptized Jesus. He was his cousin. Um, out of that, Out of that news, Jesus is kind of... Uh, escaping out into the country where people aren't, but people discover Jesus there and they start flocking to him. They just start coming and coming to hear him teach to be healed, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden there's this huge crowd that's there that Jesus is ministering to and it gets to be the end of the day and they haven't had anything to eat. The disciples say, hey, you got to feed these people. And Jesus says, you go feed them. And they say, we, there's no way we could do that. And Jesus asks what they have. They have five loaves of bread, small loaves of bread, and two fish. And out of that, Jesus supernaturally begins to break the bread and, um, and break apart the fish and spread it out to groups of people that are sat down. 
the scripture tells us, um, uh, Mark 6 says 5,000 men were fed there. Um, I, I think that the number conservatively of people, when, once you add kids and, um, and women, is conservatively somewhere between ten and 12,000 people. Um, some historians say it was maybe as many as 25,000 people. There's a huge amount of people that Jesus does this miracle. And, um, and, and so it gets to be the end of the day, and Jesus, uh, well, let's just let's jump into to Mark chapter 6. Beginning in verse 45, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After, he, after, um, after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Get this, Jesus orders his disciples into a boat out into the middle of the lake knowing that a storm is coming. You know, we'll see that in a, in a little bit. But he sends them away. Why does he do that? Because John, the Apostle John, when he writes about this particular event, he says that the crowd wanted to forcibly make Jesus king. If you want to look at that, that's in John 6, just a different perspective of of the same uh, event. The crowd says, Jesus just fed 5,000, 10, 12, 25,000. Jesus just fed all of these people. He's got to be the king that's going to break the, the, um, the power of Rome. In, in terms of squashing the Jewish people. And they're ready to take him and make him king, even though that's not what Jesus wants, even though Jesus understands that's not the plan. The disciples are hearing that, and they're probably getting pretty full of themselves. We'll read about that a little bit later in the passage. And so Jesus says, hey, you guys hop in a boat, go to the other side, I'm going to see you there. Why did Jesus go to pray by himself uh, on the countryside in the, uh, in the mountains? Um, Here's something that I, that I just kind of want to want you to grab hold of. I think that Jesus, with the f- fresh news of John the Baptist's death, and a gruesome death it was, he was beheaded, I, I think that that grieved Jesus. I, I think in his spirit, um, he knew that he was coming to a dark world, a place with sin and yuckiness, and I think, I think it just grieved his spirit. And then he goes to get away and just spend some time by himself, and all these people come. He feeds the 5,000, and there's got to be some really cool stuff that happens in that, in the success, in all of the, the nice things that people say. Jesus needed to just get away and spend time with God. Let me, let me say this to you. If you're struggling, if you're going through a time of grief, depression, whatever it is, you need to get away and hear from God, and just spend some time with him. If you're at a, at, at a place in your life where everything's going great, where you're experiencing success, and you're feeling great about that, you need to get away and hear from God so that you can have some perspective. And if you're in one of those places, and, 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 um, and I think we all experience them sometime, where you've got this, this convergence of both grief and sorrow, bad stuff and good stuff that comes together and you don't know which ends up, you need to get away and hear from God and let him give perspective. Jesus goes into the mountainside to pray. Let's keep reading. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. 
They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. This was not something a couple of people imagined. Everybody sees him in the boat. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they hadn't understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They were buying into this idea that Jesus would be king. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to whoever they heard, uh, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Now, some of you, some of you that uh, have grown up around the church, maybe you've read the Bible a lot, you're saying, wait a second, isn't this the passage, isn't this the story where Peter walks on water? Isn't that what happens right here? And the answer to that's yes. Um, turn to Matthew 14 if you're looking in your Bibles or you can look in the app or up on the screen. And, and uh, when Jesus comes and, and uh, he appears to him, this is what Matthew says in the, in the middle of the story. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Why would Mark not include the fact that Peter walked on water out to Jesus in the middle of this event? Why would Mark not include that? Well, Mark wasn't an eyewitness to what happened. He wasn't there when this happened. He wasn't one of the, of the twelve. Um, but Mark got all of his information about Jesus, what he didn't see firsthand from Peter. He was kind of like somebody that Peter had mentored. He traveled with Peter when Peter began to speak and to teach. He would have heard Peter over and over again tell stories about Jesus. He would have had a tremendous amount of respect, I think, for Peter. He would have looked up to him. And so the question is, how did Peter look back on the events of this particular night? When the storm comes and the disciples are caught in the boat and, and Jesus comes to them and Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come. And he says, come. And Peter comes and when he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink in the water. He begins to, to cry out in fear. Um, I think that Peter's perspective on this would have been one of, um, of shame and despair. For the rest of his life, I think he would have looked back and not thought, I walked on water. I think he would have thought, why didn't I believe more? I knew who Jesus was. Why didn't I trust him more? I think Mark doesn't include Peter walking on the water in this passage out of respect for Peter. He's trying to kind of um, intervene and protect his reputation a bit and keeping the focus on Jesus. He's, he knows that, that it left a wound in Peter from that night. And he didn't want Peter to relive that, have people talk to him about that. Today's talk is called Finding Jesus in the Storm. We all experience storms, right? 
If you've never experienced a storm in your life, not talking about on the water, but in your life, um, I, all I can tell you is it's coming. It, it'll happen. We all experience storms. Some storms that we, that we experience are our own fault. We make our mess. We make the storm, and then we live in it. Some storms, we don't, they're not our fault. We just kind of end up in them. You know, it's like everything blows up around us and we're trying to help pick up pieces and we don't really have any responsibility in that. We're just living in the storm. And some storms, God allows us and even directs us to go into. There are four, four thoughts that as I studied this passage this week and this concept of finding Jesus in the storm, being woke to the presence of Jesus in a storm. Four things stuck out at me, stuck out to me. The first is this. Disciples are sent into the storm in this passage. Disciples, people who follow Jesus, who are being changed by Jesus, who are committed to the mission of Jesus. Disciples get sent into the storm. John tells us, John 6, when, in, when he describes this event, he tells us that it's nighttime, that, that it's nightfall when the disciples get into the boat. So Jesus feeds these masses of people. The sun's starting to go down. Jesus says to the disciples, go hop in the boat. They get in the boat. And John tells us again that they're about in the middle of the lake, uh, uh, in, in the middle of the lake. And it's the fourth watch when Jesus comes to them. The fourth watch in, in how they kept time would have been between 3 and 6 a.m. So if they got in the boat somewhere between 6 and 8 at night, and Jesus doesn't get there until 3 to 6 in the morning. They're stuck in this storm on the water for somewhere between 6 and 8 or 10, maybe even 12 hours there in the, in the middle of it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend. We had some friends with us up at Crystal, and we're out kayaking on Crystal Lake. And they said that they had kayaked from um, Munising uh, in Lake Superior out to Grand Island. It's about a half mile to kayak out there. And they're telling me the story because like when we kayak on Crystal Lake, it's always because the lake is glass, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't kayak when it's a mess. Uh, we just do that. But they're, they're, they said that they went out and they, they went to the, to the south point in Grand Island and then went to the west and went up the west coast of, the, of Grand Island. And they said when they hit around the corner, all of a sudden the wind went crazy. And uh, what they told me was for 40 minutes... They're paddling like crazy, and they never moved at all. They're fighting the wind for 40 minutes, and they said, we didn't know what was going to happen. We really thought that we might die because they were so exhausted in trying to make their way around. 40 minutes, the disciples are experiencing that same kind of fatigue for 8 or 10 hours. Can you imagine what that was like? Um, more often than not, when we encounter a storm in our lives, we try and run away from the storm, right? We try and do everything that we can to escape the storm. Uh, in uh, the third weekend of May of 2011, I, I remember real vividly, we went out to Missouri, to Joplin, Missouri, where, um, where our kids are, to celebrate the um, graduation of our daughter, Annie, from nursing school and our son-in-law, Charlie, from Ozark Christian College. We're there to, to be there for the graduations. It was really cool. We cooked out, um, just had a great party together. We're cooking out outside, and I could look to the west and the south 
of the sky there and see that a storm was coming. And I'm thinking, you know what? I don't want to drive all the way home in the middle of a storm. Let's leave a little earlier than we anticipated. And so we did. So we left late afternoon rather than that night. Um, and, and we got about 50 miles outside of Joplin that day. And we got a call um, in our car, a call on cell phone that said, Joplin's been hit by a tornado that we would later learn was an F5 tornado that, um, that was on the ground for 45 minutes through the center of Joplin. And, uh, and it destroyed, it literally destroyed the city. More than 150 people died as a result of it. But I remember driving away and seeing the storm in our rearview mirror and just driving as fast as we could to get away from the storm. That's what we do, right? When there's a storm in our life, we just want out of it. We, that's not what Jesus called the disciples to do. Jesus sent his disciples into the storm for what reason? It was so that their faith could grow. John describes the storm that, that they were fighting strong wind and rough waves. Um, the, the Greek word that's there describes hostile opposition. It's like this battle is going on with them on the water. The disciples were struggling in the middle of that battle. The, the, the Greek word, that the original language, what it describes is, um, is anxiety, um, mental stress. It's not just that they were physically fatigued. They were scared for their lives. When you read that passage and it says that Jesus came and they cried out, it means they cried out like girls, like little girls. You know, they're shrieking, ah, there's this ghost coming towards us. Disciples are sent into storms so that their faith could grow. Our uh, quick time span of, our, of, of my family's history, we were at a church for 12 years in Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C. It was a great church. We loved being part of that. We went from there to Joplin, Missouri, to Ozark Christian College, where I taught for four years. And then we moved back to Virginia, to northern Virginia, um, actually not very far from where we were in Maryland, um, to a church that was there. When we moved from Missouri back to Northern Virginia, our oldest daughter, Leah, was 16 years old. I remember we came back, and, and that summer they had reconnected with their friends from Maryland that they were so close to. It was like, oh, this is so great. We're, we're, we're near these friends. And, um, and I remember that first week that we were there, I said, hey, this church, everything is all about life groups. It's about connecting, and that, that's true for high school kids too. You need to go to life group tonight. And, and Leah starts crying and said, Dad, I don't want to go. I don't know anybody. She, she actually said to me, Dad, would you go with me to Life Group? And I said, Daughter, the last thing you want is your dad going with you to a group of high schoolers uh, for Life Group. Um, and we made her go. We made her go that night. Why would a parent put their child in some place that's uncomfortable, that creates a storm for them, it's because they want them to grow, right? Disciples are sent into storms so that their faith can grow. We grow in the midst of pain. C.S. Lewis, in, the, in his book, The Problem of Pain, said, uh, a little bit down in this, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A little bit later in the book, he says, no doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepented rebellion. 
but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. There is going to be pain in our lives. The only question is whether or not we want to face that pain with our power and our plan or whether we want to face that pain with God's power and in God's plan. Why would Jesus allow us to go into a storm? Why would Jesus send us into a storm? It's because the purpose of our lives is not peace and comfort. The purpose of our life is transformation. It's to be changed. Second thought from this passage, in the middle of a storm, Jesus can seem like a ghost. That's what the disciples thought. They didn't recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. Um, the response of the disciples in the middle of the storm was, was the kind of response that most of us have in the middle of a storm. They were fighting for their lives. They were just trying to survive. They were just trying to make it through the next minute, the next hour, to make it until the sun would come up and they could see where they were. They didn't expect to see Jesus. When you read that passage, I, there's a question to me when I studied it that I thought, this has got to be a question on everybody's mind. Why didn't they just turn around and go back, right? They're fighting the wind. Why didn't they just turn around and go back? Why indeed? Because Jesus had told them to go to the other side of the lake. Sometimes, sometimes we are so about obeying Jesus, obeying what Jesus has told us, that we miss seeing Jesus, that we miss his presence in our life. Let me, let me just say to you, if you've been around church a long time, I kind of said this last week, man, it's easy to miss the big picture. Sometimes we can be so focused on doing all the right things that we know we're supposed to do that we miss Jesus. We've got to search for him in the storm. Um, sometimes we focus so much on what we're supposed to do that we miss who we're supposed to trust in the middle of the storm. Jesus knew that they were struggling. He could see them struggling, Scripture says. You know what happened? Jesus showed up to the disciples when the disciples were ready to give up. Jesus showed up when the disciples were ready to give up. Jesus came at the most difficult time in the night, long before dawn, when it was at its darkest, if you can't find Jesus in the storm, in your storm, know that he's coming. The storm may get worse before you see him clearly, but that's not his fault. That's our fault for not seeing him. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you're in the middle of a storm, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on your kids. Don't quit on your life group. Don't quit on your friendships. Don't quit on your church. Don't quit on that thing that God has called you to do. I'm not saying that we don't need to have healthy boundaries with relationships that are toxic. Jesus had clear boundaries with toxic relationships with the religious leaders, even with his family, even with the disciples. I'm just saying, don't quit. Don't quit because you can't see Jesus right now. You've got to know him. You've got to trust him. You've got to search for him in the storm and know that he will show himself. 
Last, the last thing that really just came out of this passage for me was this. I, I've hinted at it, but let me say it clearly. Jesus came, Jesus came to transform the disciples, not to stop the storm. We try and run from the storm. Jesus came to transform the disciples. He sent them away as night was falling. Eight hours later, they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is still on the shoreline with his father. Why did he wait so long? Why did he wait so long? Couldn't he have had a shorter prayer time with God? I think he waited because he wanted to increase their faith. Sometimes Jesus comes to us in the fog just so he can show himself and our faith and trust can grow as a result. He comes to us at just the right time. And he says, like he said to Peter, take courage, I'm here, everything is going to be okay. You don't need to be afraid. And like Peter, we can say, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus will say, come. Why would Jesus allow us to land in a storm? Why would Jesus send us into a storm? It's because the purpose of our lives is not peace and comfort. The purpose is transformation. We can spend our entire lives trying to run from storms, trying to run from conflict, trying to shield ourselves from anything difficult, anything that might stretch us. We can, um, we can put up all kinds of physical and emotional barriers that protect ourselves from any kind of risk. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to face the storm, to search for him there. When, when we search, he may be hard to, to see. It may be difficult for us to, to see him. But with the disciples, they thought he was a ghost. They, there, there was this vision. They didn't expect him, and they didn't recognize him. But if we search for him, he will show himself, and he'll calm the storm. The scripture is so interesting. Both Matthew and Mark say that when Jesus got in the boat, the storm stopped. Can you imagine they're fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. They see this thing that they think is a ghost. They talk to Jesus. Peter walks on the water. He falls in. Jesus gets in the boat with them, and the storm stops. I think, I think Jesus had their full attention. John says something else that's really interesting when he describes it. He says that when Jesus got in the boat, immediately they were on the other side of the lake. Don't, I don't know if that's an exaggeration or if that's a miracle. I, I, I just don't know. But... What John said was, Jesus is there, all of a sudden storm stops, and they're on the other side. An incredibly cool thing. Do you think the disciples ever saw Jesus in the same way again? I don't think so. Jesus transforms us in the middle of the storm. Jesus sent the disciples into a storm. This is just big picture overview, overview. For when you're going through storm, don't miss this. Jesus sent the disciples into the storm. Jesus saw them in the storm. He saw them from the shore. Maybe in a supernatural way, he saw them in the storm. He sent them in the storm. He saw them in the storm. He came to them in the storm. And then he spoke to them in the storm. And then he calmed the storm. He took care of them. You know, um, if you think back to when you were in elementary school, do you remember reading about, uh, uh, in social studies or whatever, um, Egyptian hieroglyphics? The, the language from ancient Egypt where all these pictures and the pictures tell stories and you go through that whole process. In Egyptian hieroglyphics, I, I, um, there, are, there are two different hieroglyphics, 
two different pictures that are kind of interesting. One is this picture of a wavy line, that, and that was the symbol that the historians tell us that they used for water, for like water on a lake like that, the, the wavy line. That was water uh, on the lake. The two feet were a symbol for, for somebody walking. And when you put those two hieroglyphics together, the, the water and the walking, you know, what, you know what the meaning of that was in Egyptian hieroglyphics? It was the word impossible. Only Jesus, only Jesus can do the impossible. We've got to search for him in the storm. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
hope you have a great week this week. Go keep your eyes on the Lord, and we'll see you next week.